bug stuff, bug clip. <laughs> do, 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 do. That was almost yeah. like the Kim Possible. It was. Ooh, <laughs> the little probably dude. a trademark. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the Kim Possible thing. No, it was almost. Ding, da, ding, da, ding, ding, da, ding, da, ding, 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 bugs and stuff. <laughs> Are you Can so ready to talk about this book, Caitlin? Mm-hmm, I am. Okay. So today we're talking about uh, if I understood you, would I have this look on my face? By Alan Alda. Subtitle, My Adventures in the Arts and Sciences, or arts, Art and Science of Relating and Communicating. I don't know why this title gives me so much trouble. It's a pretty long title. It's a long title. Uh, it's because there isn't any jargon in it. <laughs> yeah because if it, be. if it did have jargon it would have like three words yeah yeah you're not wrong <laughs> you're not wrong but that's the whole point of the book because jargon is crap mm-hmm. get rid of it well for <laughs> when you're trying to communicate with people who don't have the same background as you then it's not helpful I that's what I took away from the book (laughs) right because I think there is a is a chapter about jargon and he's like it's not always crap right yeah but it's fine I guess I just don't like it (laughs) Alan Alda is your idol right and your hero and this is because from a weird young age I loved the tv show MASH MASH is such a good tv I still love MASH. I loved Mm -hmm. MASH so much, Caitlin, that in high school, my friends sent letters to the cast of MASH, and some of them sent me back autographs for my birthday. Oh, they are the sweetest cast. (laughs) I know. So I have one from Alan Alda and two from Mike Farrell. I don't really know why he sent me two, but they're two different pictures of him. (laughs) I remember when we... It must have been right around when we first met. We, um, I was so excited that you liked MASH because I haven't <laughs> ever heard of anybody else watching MASH, but I used to watch it with my mom and my sister all the time because it would be on TV all the time. It still is. It, well, I don't know. I haven't been able to find it really oh. recently. It's very upsetting. She's usually on TV land here. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm not looking at the right times. Anyways, mm-hmm. MASH is a great TV show, and if you know it... They are doctors in the Korean War in it. And in interviews, like later in life, Alan Alda, who directed some of the episodes and acted in some of the episodes. Well, no, acted in all of his episodes. (laughs) He was really adamant about keeping it realistic and like talking about the medical stuff realistically and, you know, being scientific about it. Mm-hmm. And then this is turning into a life story rather than the book, <laughs> but I don't care. And then in, I don't know when, when, do you know when he started his science communication center mm. with Stony Brook? I can't remember. I don't remember when we discovered it <laughs> when we were in our master's together like four years ago. And... So he's got this center within the Stony Brook University 
for science communication and he trains like medical doctors and scientists how to communicate with the public. So that's what this book is about, telling other people how to do it if they, you know, maybe aren't able to make it to the center um, or one of the many workshops that he has teaching people to do this, which is great for me because I have not had the opportunity to do that. I've been to a workshop. Yeah, I thought you had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been to a workshop. It was really cool. It wasn't taught by Alan Alda, but (laughs) it was taught by somebody else and we did a lot of improv and it was really neat. Did they teach you things similar to what they have in this book? Um, Yes. So so it was very much like kind of building, helping to like learn how to build relationships with people. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was like a big group of scientists who – we're studying all kinds of different things and um we did a bunch of improv games just to like loosen everybody up and we did talk about our science yeah it was really neat Hmm. i want to go to one so bad but until then this book was a good uh resource for me and i had a lot of ideas and thoughts about the things within the book so you want to talk about them? Yes. Let's hear What do you want to talk about first? Um, I liked all <laughs> of his interesting stuff he had to say about empathy. That was just yeah. really cool. The first part of the book, I feel like, was just trying to, like, communicate with every person. Like, just improve yeah. everybody's communication. Yeah, um, it was kind of like, how, how do you relate with somebody? Here are some improv games that help with that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really quite interesting just the idea of using empathy and when you can be too empathetic Mm -hmm. (laughs) like if you're a doctor and you're suddenly like way too empathetic then you're not really being that helpful yeah Um, he gave an example of a doctor that cried and was like really really upset by some pain that the patient was telling them because they had experienced it before mm mm-hmm and that's not helpful. Yeah. And then I thought another interesting thing that he talked about was sort of like relating with somebody as a doctor. So he gave the story about a um, medical student who actually asked the patient. They couldn't figure out. The whole team couldn't figure out what was wrong with this patient. And finally, he's like, well, nobody can figure it out. Let me just ask the patient what they think is wrong. And mm-hmm. the patient was like, oh, I, I think this sounds weird, but I think I have malaria. And that's what he had. And it was yeah. just very interesting to, like, be able to kind of collaborate on that level with somebody who maybe doesn't have a background. But I think there's a lot of reluctance to do that. Sure. I mean, field. yeah, because the the other option is maybe someone's just like been web updating their symptoms and they're like, I definitely have cancer when they might not. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I also think that he does it, Alan Alda, like the, almost the whole book is like about trying to like throw out your feelings, any feelings of superiority with other mm-hmm. people. Like everybody's just another human that you're trying to communicate with and you shouldn't be like if you get rid of the feeling that you're better or you're you know more than other people then you can communicate so much better and maybe right. solve some problems in the world which i thought was yes. really interesting yeah yeah i liked um 
he when he was talking about empathy he was talking about how you can kind of train yourself to be more empathetic Mm -hmm. and he was talking about experiments he's done on himself and maybe this is a good time to say this alan alda is not a scientist (laughs) And he does not present this information like a scientist. One, because he's trying to communicate it well. But two, because he'll talk about some studies and talk about some researchers and stuff that they have told them, but he's not like giving you a citation to it. Mm -hmm. So just kind of be aware of that going in. He does have acknowledgments at the end of the book, though. Right. But (laughs) I thought... (laughs) Sorry. No, it's okay. I thought his... Um, experiments on himself were really interesting about when he's like just looking at everyday people while you're on the bus or while you're walking down the street and you're trying to guess what they're thinking mm-hmm. I thought this it, a lot of this was a really interesting practice that I want to do more of and I think some of this stuff would be interesting to encourage other graduate students to be a part of because we're still in training right now and if we can get in on the ground level there with this communication stuff maybe we'll create scientists that are better to communicate later Mm -hmm. um so i really liked all of his little experiments in the improv games too they sound very fun (laughs) Mm -hmm. well most of them some of them sound scary but that's fine (laughs) (laughs) i i liked his he had this one moment where he was trying to be more empathetic um which kind of showed how it can you can like build teams with different groups when he was so he was hailing a taxi and sometimes taxi drivers will say like hey where are you going and they'll deny you a ride Mm -hmm. which they're not supposed to do um but they do it because like maybe they're at their end of their shift or whatever. And usually Alan was saying, oh, I get really upset about that. Like I get kind of sour about people Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're just taking me now because I'm going to the right place. But he actually like worked together with this taxi driver and he found out the taxi driver hadn't used the bathroom in like half a day or whatever. So he was like trying to find like he wanted a he didn't want this huge ride that he had to go to and he also wanted to be able to be close to a bathroom and then it kind of became a teamwork effort where alan and him were now like in in a team and they alan was like okay i'm gonna find you like the quickest way to get to my location and like you don't have to drop me off right at the door and the taxi driver's like no no you're being so nice like i'm gonna drop you (laughs) off at the door and it was just a cool story yeah I agree. He had a lot of really cool stories in this book. I I really like the one um, with the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. With the oh, I don't remember his name. That that guy that becomes a researcher in the field of empathy and the autism spe- uh, autistic spectrum. <laughs> Can't say the word. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how. As a younger person, his first interaction was just sitting down with a young boy who was on the spectrum and coloring with them or talking to him. Um, And it became like a really big deal. And now he does all of this stuff to help these same kids working through their issues. And it kind of comes out of playing improv games with them. Yeah. 
so that they can be better at relating to people because that's a problem with people on the autism spectrum. Um, so I really liked that connection too. There's just so much empathy and we need so much more of that, like collectively as a people, mm-hmm. not just as a scientist. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked this book. I feel like I could go back and like read different parts of it at different times. Yeah, I agree. I think that I would like to use this book in... Okay, here's here's uh, the current dream, Caitlin. Mm-hmm. Remember when we were in our master's and Audrey taught that science communication class? Yeah. I want to do that. And I would really like to use this book potentially like as a textbook Mm -hmm. for people to read but also like I want to use these games and these activities with the students as well Mm -hmm. because I really think that a lot of this stuff could make a big impact and in a way that these I mean many of the students at our small university probably will never get the opportunity to go to a kind of workshop with the Allen Mm -hmm. Alda Center yeah. Um, so I think it would be a nice way to bring that to them. Although I should probably attend one before I try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it would be really neat. And it would be just like, I think these are these are good things for scientists, but I think they're also good things for humans in general. I yeah. think he's just talking about how like you relate to people and how you talk to people who have different viewpoints than you, like that could be mm-hmm. something that someone could gain. So I think even if you aren't a scientist, you can still gain stuff out of this book. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing, I've been thinking about this book a lot because, you know, of everything that's going on and the mistrust and miscommunication of science. And I find myself talking to a lot more people about like the coronavirus that I don't, you know, necessarily study, but I understand the process of science so I can explain to them why everything changes from day to day. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been really interesting to talk to people who think wildly different Mm -hmm. (laughs) through this situation. And I mean, sometimes you you can't get through with them no matter what you say they still think this is all a conspiracy theory and that is what it is but sometimes you can get through to people and i i find that when you're more open with them about like the difficulties of science they'll listen more if that mm-hmm. makes sense yeah like not for example we did not do groundbreaking research, <laughs> but we had some really rough times with it. Yeah. And kind of explaining through that lens what happened when I tried to do one simple experiment and then telling them, okay, now here's the pressure of the coronavirus and here's what these people are going through, not just trying to figure this out through research and the normal stuff, but there's a lot of high pressure on this. I'm getting it right. Mm-hmm. And I think that has helped some people see it through 
hopefully the eyes of the people doing the research so they can understand better why we're always changing our minds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that makes science seem untrustworthy Mm -hmm. is because it's always debunking itself. Yeah. (laughs) But that's the reason why you should trust science. Yeah. Because it's always debunking itself. It's not like a product that is claiming to cure everything, right? Right. (laughs) It's not like one of those. It's not a cure-all and people are always fixing it and making it better. That's how I would look at it for people. Mm -hmm. Like scientists are always striving to find what is true about something and that means a lot, making a lot of mistakes. Right, and or a like, lot of finding out what is not true instead. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of like figuring out, oh, this is partially true, but also it does this. <laughs> so right. is it good? And I think it has also opened people's eyes up to like, this is what a drug, like the process of finding a drug is so hard. Mm-hmm. And it's also, for me, it's something, like, we don't know anything about viruses. That's what this whole thing has, like, showed me. It's like, we know very little about viruses. Yeah. And that's the reason why we should be funding these, like, long-term studies on this kind of stuff. Because this isn't the first time this is going to happen. And, and it's not the last. <laughs> and it's not the last. And if you have, if you do fund these kinds of studies, then you can prevent things like everybody has to go into lockdown for months <laughs> at a time. Right. Like that's the goal, but it takes a very long time to get there. Right. And it takes dedication to get there and funding <laughs> and money. But I hope that with this situation, there's a lot of an emotion tied to it. Mm -hmm. and that's something that alan talks about in his book and also that's something i've read in a number of other like good education papers Mm -hmm. is emotion makes things memorable so people are going to remember what happened longer Mm -hmm. and they're more likely than to act on it to make it not happen again Mm -hmm. that's an assumption of mine i don't have sources to back that up (laughs) No, I think that's what he talks about. And I think that it's true. Like if you have an emotion, you're more likely to remember stuff that happens. Mm -hmm. I was reading an interesting thing, an article about um, why kind of relating back to this time, like why people feel like days take forever to get through right now, but also that like time goes by really fast when you're looking back at it. Mm -hmm. It feels like April went by so fast Um, And that's because while in the middle of your day, you might be checking the clock a lot because you're bored, because you're bored and you're not doing anything, there's nothing memorable to make your time feel like it went by slower. Like there's nothing in eight, like for me, I didn't do a lot in April, so I don't have any like highlighting memories of April. (laughs) And so that can make time seem like it goes by really fast. So kind of those think about like those there isn't a lot of there's a lot of emotion tied up in coronavirus but it's kind of all the same it kind of all blurs together Mm -hmm. um and so it kind of makes time go faster in a way 
Unless you're unlucky to have someone in your family or you yourself to have been impacted. Yeah. In which case, it might go a lot slower for you. Or you might remember it as a longer period of time. Right. It's just interesting. Yeah. I mean, back to the book. Mm -hmm. It's all about looking people in the eyeballs, (laughs) (laughs) listening to what they're saying, and being able to react to what they're saying in a way that engages them. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a part in this book that I really love, mostly because a couple of years ago, the Toledo Library brought in Alan Alda to talk about this book. So I actually got this book at that event and he signed it. And um, it was the most magical day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> But we, I mean, we weren't allowed to talk to him, uh, but I was just so overwhelmed and I cried. But <laughs> at this event, he he did this activity kind of thing to engage us, to show us like how storytelling can really bring a person in. And he talks about it in the book too. So what he did was he brought a person up from the audience and he gave them a glass of water and filled it up to the top. And he, mm-hmm. he asked the person to walk it across stage. And they did. And then they walked it back. And uh, he filled it up even more. And he says, now walk it across the stra- stage, but don't spill any because any drops you spill will drown an entire village. Oh. And the village is obviously made up. Like, we all know that the village isn't real. But for whatever reason, when they spill a drop of that glass, it's really dramatic. And everybody, like, goes, <gasps> <laughs> you know mm-hmm. yeah everybody reacts to it because there's a story behind it now and you have something to care about you know even in that situation if it's not there and a lot of situations where we're communicating our science there is a story there mm-hmm. and it reminds me of a book we talked about earlier lab girl when she was talking about all of that stuff that went into her research and telling all those stories that's not something we get from reading her science papers, right? So it makes it more engaging if those stories were in there, you know, to like yeah. everyday people. And that obviously, I don't, I don't know if a scientist would like that, but I would definitely read a journal like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the moral there is that storytelling is really, really important, and knowing your audience and knowing what they're gonna care about. So you don't go up to some old person and tell them all of the science about climate change and why we need to switch to renewable energy because maybe they won't understand that. Mm -hmm. But if that person you know values jobs, instead of talking about all of the science behind climate change, maybe you just talk about all the jobs that could be created by putting up a windmill. Mm -hmm. Yeah using it or um maintenance on it (laughs) Mm -hmm. definitely i don't know it just really for me brings home the importance of knowing who you're talking to and being able to tell a story and make them care about whatever the heck you're talking about yeah most definitely it's so good (laughs) it was a great book It, it really I don't under I don't know if we have um, shared enough 
with people about what's in this book. I think there's so much in this book. And I like I was saying, there's just a little bit of everything. Yeah. And it just could help anyone communicate better. It could help you communicate better. Maybe you're not a scientist, but maybe you're, I don't know, maybe your relative has been posting weird stuff on Facebook that isn't true. It could, like, help you <laughs> communicate with them. Yeah. Or, um, or maybe you just love Alan Alda and maybe. you want to know what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> then you should definitely get it because this is what he cares about. Mm-hmm. He also, if you love Alan Alda and you're interested in this kind of stuff, but you don't want to buy his book, well, you should buy his book. But um, he's also got a podcast called Clear and Vivid. Do you can listen to that too? It's very good. He's got little guests. It's very cute. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what else I have to say about this. Like, I, I love this book so much and I love its message so much and I can't wait to use this stuff in my life (laughs) yeah me too I'm really excited about it I'm just excited to use it like at my job a little bit more doing like social media stuff yeah I'm really interested in how this applies to social media uh, because it's very different to convince or to relate to someone over social media than it is to relate to like students in a classroom Mm -hmm. or your neighbor (laughs) I think it comes down to like the story aspect of it a little bit better Mm -hmm. a little bit more sorry um yeah because you can't like directly develop something for a single mm -hmm. person based on their values because you're talking to hundreds of thousands of people right and I mean everybody has an audience so they all have a target audience that they're working with so you can you kind of know what that group wants. Mm-hmm. You don't know as specific, obviously. <laughs> it's like talking to like a huge person um, with lots <laughs> of different interests and things. But you know like generally who they are. Like for my job, I know we probably talk to – well, we talk to a lot of like ladies who are 35 to 45 <laughs> years old, which are like mostly moms, right? Like mm-hmm. there are a lot of moms in that group. And so I try to gear a lot of our posts – towards that group of people while not like forgetting about other groups because it's important to grow you want especially with healthcare, you want to be able to hit a lot of people Mm -hmm. um but you also want to when you're like creating content you want to engage that group that is the largest right and so I think telling social media is a little bit more about telling your story and like what's going on with what what you're doing and what your your interests are and engaging people with that. Hmm. That's how I think it affects social media. It's not as specific and you can't like target people as specifically, but yeah. I'm interested in exploring that more. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think you could like definitely it would be interesting to find like a book or some kind of thing that could pair well with this yeah um like what to do when you don't necessarily know your audience mm-hmm. intimately or like something like a social media book a book about like marketing or social media that kind of pairs well with this mm-hmm. that uses to see like how they compare and how you might be able then you might be able to better understand how to take what's in this book and gear it towards 
a group. Yeah. I imagine... This is me just brainstorming now. <laughs> I imagine on social media, one of the ways you can kind of accomplish this would be like sharing a video or a picture of you so they have something to associate you with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like for my particular job, I'm trying to get like our program managers to share things that they're doing in their communities, mm-hmm. um, which help connect people with what's happening Hmm. Um, yeah so I think I think that's like where where you can kind of pair this book with it is being able to like tell your story on social media in order to because everybody has like a goal right so like everyone's a scientist's goal is to get people to understand what they're doing a goal of ours is to get people engaged with our group so that they can become healthier so right. helping people connect with us is the way to kind of one way to achieve that goal. Yeah, I think um, another thing in this book that would be fun is using you can't do this over social media, obviously, um, but like using the improv stuff in a classroom <laughs> would be really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like I imagine one of those like first day getting to know you things that everybody hates. Mhm. But it could be fun if it was an improv game instead. Just an option. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it could be more fun. Yeah, it, well and then cuz I'm thinking when I when I taught classes you had small groups of students that work together. I a few of my students are still friends and they tell me about it all the time. And like they I have two specifically that used to visit me often when I was in my office still. Um and they became best friends in my class and now they're going to live together and all this stuff. But the class as a whole never kind of comes together unless mm-hmm. I've seen it happen in the case of like having a bad teacher. Mm-hmm. I think it's easier for the students to form a community <laughs> then. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you played these improv games, you might have a better community in your classroom. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it wouldn't help too with like the way students treat each other. I, I know when I would have my students give presentations... I explicitly told everybody if they were being disrespectful during another student's presentation, I would take points off because I'm not going to deal with that. Mm -hmm. You know, like no talking, no being on your cell phone. Don't be rude to these people. Don't be rude to your classmates. Um, And I wonder if the incidence of that would be less if they cared more for their student or through their uh, cared more for their classmates. (laughs) By doing one of these, like, improv-relating activities at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. That's what I would assume. It would be interesting. I had this whole book, the whole time I was reading it, I was just jotting down all of these questions, and I was like, I could research that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was fun for me. Anyways, this is a great book. If you want to learn about how to relate to people... If you want to learn about how to use improv in your everyday life, if you want to learn about how important empathy is, um, definitely pick this book up. Agreed.
You can get it on Amazon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or potentially at your local library. Yeah, you should check your libraries mm-hmm. for all of these books that we then, talk about. I mean, everyone pays for their library through their taxes, but you yeah. kind of are getting it for free. <laughs> and then if you love it, you can buy it. Right. Yeah. I'm really thankful that I not only got to read this book, but that I got to hear Alan Alda himself talk about it. It was really influential for me. It sounds like it. Yeah, I love it a lot. I don't feel like I'm expressing myself well enough about it, but I hope everybody gets the picture and is interested and wants to be a better science communicator or communicator in general. Yeah, communication is important. I think they do. (laughs) I think you've expressed your love really well. Okay, good. Well, Carrie, what are we reading next? Wait, you always do oh, this, Caitlin. Sorry. sorry How many else? bugs out of 10 bugs do you oh, give yeah. this book? I give this book 9 out of 10 bugs. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. You might not be able to guess, but I'm giving it 11 out of 10 bugs. <laughs> you can't give it more bugs than 10 bugs. I, I just did. <laughs> so get over it. <laughs> I might be biased, but... This is where we are. Okay, now we can talk about what we're reading next. Okay, we are reading. <laughs> so this podcast will come out in June when you're listening. Potentially, right, right, right. unless you're listening way in the future. Um, the next one. The next book is called... Not that. <laughs> the Soul of an Octopus by Cy Montgomery. Yes. And it will be released on July 14th. Mm-hmm. That's the second Tuesday in July. That's a fun little book. If you want a little teaser about what The Soul of an Octopus is about, you can actually hear Alan Alda interview Simon Montgomery about the book on his podcast, Clear and Vivid. So you can get a little sneak peek before you read or listen to the book. Um, I know my library had it on the audiobook, so that's what I did to listen to it. So, yeah. Yeah, and I'm planning to borrow it from my library t- as well. Yeah, libraries. A lot of libraries also have virtual um, and online, so you can get ebooks. So if you mm-hmm. can't go to your library right now, you can still go to your library. Yeah. And <laughs> if you don't already have a library card, a lot of them will let you sign up online right now, too. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, there's no excuse. Read some books. Yes. Even (laughs) if it's not the books we're reading. Right, that's fine too. But if you've read this book and you want to talk to me about it, I'm dying to talk to more people about it. Um, So reach out to us. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, anything else? Nope. All right. As always. Soul of an Octopus, July 14th. (laughs) Go ahead. As always, we'll see you. We love you. (laughs) Goodbye.